begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what it means to be free, uh, and a little bit about what it means or, or how we ought to use the freedom that we have in Christ. Um, but I think that concept of freedom uh, is, is a little bit different, and I would argue maybe in the last 20, 30 years even, that, that, that terminology, that concept of freedom has changed quite a bit. And so without going too deeply maybe into sociology and, and how uh, um, our nation has changed and how our world has changed, um, some of that has come about by, by what we would call a postmodern thought, right? So when we talk about freedom, I think not one of you here today would say, I don't, I don't, I don't have any interest in that, Right? In fact, I would guess if, if there was one thing that you were ready to, to kind of throw down on, that you were ready to just duke it out over, it is, it is retaining your freedom, right? I think we maybe felt a little bit of that tension throughout the pandemic, right? Where at times uh, some thought that their freedoms were being impinged on, others did not, right? But so I, I think on, put it this way, I think high level... Every single one of us would say, we want to be free, we ought to be free, and others ought to be free as well. But the reality of it is, we know that the devil is in the details when you talk about the concept of freedom, right? Because who's freedom? Right? Yours? Your neighbors? The government's? Right? Whose freedom is it? Who decides on what is free and what is not? And so I think, at least maybe high level, we say, oh yeah, we all want freedom and we, we, this is something that we all would stand for. I think it gets a little more complicated when we start talking about um, what does that freedom specifically mean to each and every one of us? And today, in our context and from the Apostle Paul, we're going to say, okay, what, what does freedom actually look like in the lives of mature Christians? Because that's kind of the path we're walking. We're our theme is resilient. But, but how can we as believers in a society and in a world and increasingly, I would argue, in a country that is just incredibly filled with uncertainty and, and feels as though it's roller coaster or whipsaw back and forth, how can, how can we as mature believers walk through our lives and within our world in a mature way? And ideally, that maturity, that resiliency points to Christ, right? So today, that's what we want to look at. We want to say, from, a, from a, a biblical perspective, what does freedom look like? And maybe the responsibility of it too. How does God ask, what does he ask of us to use that freedom in? So that's what we want to look at. But as I mentioned, I, I think that concept of freedom isn't something that any of us would be sitting here saying, I don't have any interest in that. Um, but there are times, I think, when maybe we are tempted to take some of those freedoms a little bit for granted. Um, and sometimes you'll hear stories like this from different parts of the world that don't enjoy maybe the same freedoms that we do. Uh, one of those that I read recently um, was from a couple who uh, escaped communist Cuba in 1966. So as a husband and wife, um, his name was Loriano and his wife was Consuela. Um, and they were in, in Fidel Castro's communist Cuba in 1966. And they wanted nothing more than 
freedom. Now, if you know anything of your geography or if you've done some cruises in the Caribbean, uh, Cuba is surprisingly close to Florida, right, to the Keys. Uh, so only about 70 miles apart, not very far apart at, at all. And so we'll sometimes hear stories like that. Uh, and in 1966, um, Loriano and Consuela decided that they were going to, to, um, they were going to go after freedom, right? They were going to leave Cuba. Um, and that's exactly what they did. Um, the audio from this video was a little bit difficult, so I'm going to kind of talk over the top of it. Um, but the audio is actually of, of uh, Loriano's wife, Consuela, talking about why they chose to, to try to escape Cuba. And she said, ironically, Fidel Castro had a speech where he, he implored the people, those listening, um, that if they wanted to make something of themselves, they had to, they had to work at it. They had to, they had to be, uh, kind of use their ingenuity and, and really put their mind to it. And so she said, ironically, what happened was uh, her husband, uh, Loriano, decided he was going to put his ingenuity into building a boat <laughs> so that he could leave Cuba. Now, I'm not guessing that was the intent of Fidel's speech to his people, um, but that is exactly what happened. So uh, in that video, I'll just run it one more time. Uh, you can see a little bit of what they fashioned. So uh, Loriano built a, an aluminum boat. It was big enough just to fit him and his wife, Consuela, to get across that 70 miles. So now look how small that is. Um, um, they decided that their freedom was so important to them that they would risk the open ocean in a boat that size, barely big enough for the two of them to sit. They, he actually used a lawnmower motor uh, as, the, uh, as the engine to, get to, to propel them across, right? Um, um, on some level, maybe we're a little, we admire the ingenuity of it. I'm not sure that Fidel probably admired the ingenuity of it. But that's what they did, because that's what freedom meant to them. Um, we could say on one side, desperate enough that they would build something like this and travel across the ocean. Uh, but on the other side, maybe the positive side of it was that they were, they, were, they were sailing to something, to freedom, right? And how important that was for them. Loriano said this about it when asked about that trip. He said, when one has grown up in liberty, you don't realize how important it is to have freedom. We live in the enormous prison, which is Cuba, where one's life is not worth one crumb where one goes out into the street and does not know whether or not one will return because the political police can arrest you without any warning and put you in prison. Before this could happen to us, we thought that going into the ocean and risking death or being eaten by sharks is a million times better than to stay suffering under political oppression. So you can see their desire for that freedom, right? Today, that's what we get to look at as well. But we're not talking about political oppression. We're not talking about even, even earthly uh, um, um, political freedom. But we're talking more specifically, what freedom do we have as believers? And importantly enough, what does that freedom lead us to do and to be in the world around us? And so that's simply going to be our theme. Um, resilient freedom is what we want to strive towards. And... That works really well today as we celebrate the, the Protestant Reformation because in large part, that is what Martin Luther brought back to the Christian church on earth was freedom. 
in Christ. And it's interesting because um, there's a couple of the, of the main things that came out of the Reformation from what Martin Luther did, the, the reforming of the Christian church at that time. Uh, the first and most important was just a return to grace and the freedom that we have in Christ so that our salvation is not based on our works, right, or the money that we give, but it's based solely on Jesus. Um, but the second one that's really interesting, which continues to have incredible reverberations in our world today is, is a, um, um, a return or a rediscovery of how we use that freedom in our daily living. So we use the term vocation or work. And so those are going to be the kind of the two things we look at today. Number one, what is that freedom and how we hold fast to it? But number two, how does that freedom um, get put into practice in our everyday living, in our Christian living as believers? So... That's where we're headed today. Um, if you are studious and you like points, here are three points today. So, uh, so resilient freedom is freed, which you're thinking that seems a little redundant, but first verse of our text says it as well, right? So resilient freedom is freed, um, it is led, and it is working. So we're going to kind of walk through our text and we'll see those three things uh, from Apostle Paul in our, in our book of Galatians. Uh, now, before we jump into that text... Um, Paul wrote this book of Galatians to the Christians in Galatia, and it works really well today when we're talking about that concept of freedom, because that was, in a spiritual sense, what was under attack in the Christian church in Galatia at the time. So uh, um, Paul was, was trying to, to drive home the point to those believers in Galatia um, that they ought not to, to let go of the freedom that they had found in Christ. And that was happening in a pretty specific way. Uh, there was a group that, that um, got the label Judaizers. They were those that would uh, um, come along and say, well, the freedom you have in Jesus, it's pretty good, uh, and it's pretty sufficient, and it's not a bad start, <laughs> but we've got some extra stuff that you need to do to kind of help it along, right? And so it's an interesting take because it, it's not as though... Uh, many, there may were some that would have outright denied that freedom they have in Christ, but most would have said, no, you have freedom in Christ, but it's, but it's limited, and it's limping a little bit, and you need to put in some effort to kind of help it along. And so this group called Judaizers came along and specifically in the Christian church in Galatia and said, um, to help that along, to help your freedom along, just do these things, Right? Follow these steps. And most of them were Old Testament laws and regulations that had been fulfilled by Jesus. And so uh, um, they said, just do these things and then you'll really kind of help your salvation along. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? Because that's not really freedom at all, is it? <laughs> right? That's maybe just a little bit longer chain, but that's not really freedom. That's not really being released from our sins, Right? It's just maybe a little bit bigger cell. And so Paul, in the book of Galatians, over and over again, comes to the Christians in Galatians and says, do not let go of the freedom that you have in Christ. And that's specifically what he drives home for us here today as well. So let's jump into our text. You're welcome to follow along uh, either in your bulletin or on the screen here behind me. I'm going to read verses 1 and then 13 through 15. So Paul says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. 
Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul has a way with words, right? Kind of feel the juxtaposition of what's going on here. So Paul, on the one hand, is saying, do not let go of the freedom that you have. But simultaneously, he is saying, but use that freedom in a way that honors and that loves those around you. Now, Paul was recognizing on some level um, what theologians have recognized, and specifically even out of the Reformation, was that that inclination, our sinful inclination, tends to kind of turn back on itself. Have any of you ever had a hangnail? You're all laughing. Yeah, you maybe have one today. Yeah, right. Have you ever had? Have you ever had one of these hangnails where it just feels as though like the cute? It just keeps growing in on itself over and over again. I don't know. If there, is there a term for that? Habitual hangnail? Constant? I don't know. Constant hangnail? But it's the one where you're like, like you got to be kidding me. Like so, you dig it out, right? And you get it, and it heals up, and then sure enough, it just curves back in on itself, right? Just to come back and. I think that's a pretty good picture when we consider uh, um, our freedom and more specifically, what are we being freed from? That's a pretty good definition of sin, uh, is, is a, an inward looking, a curving back in on oneself. Martin Luther put it this way, um, and you get a little bit of Latin today, incurvatus in se, so uh, a curving in on oneself. So Luther said this, our nature is so deeply curved in on itself that it wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. And so it's hard for us to consider freedom until we know what we've been freed from. And uh, hangnails are not fun at all, um, but it's far worse than hangnails, right? Luther understood that, and I think we understand that. There is this natural incurvatus, like this, this curving in on ourselves, where we increasingly um, become more selfish, more self-focused, looking at ourselves more and more and more, and it becomes this, this never-ending rabbit hole towards the bottom that we, at times, have a hard time breaking out of. That's our sinful nature in us, right? It's helped along by the world around us, and, um, but, but ultimately is this curving in on oneself. But that's specifically what Paul tells the Galatians to recognize, but also says this is what you have freedom from, right? Now, understand why that mattered in the context of Galatians when he's talking to these people that said, you're kind of free, but not totally. You just have to do a few things. So what Paul is saying is, no, uh, in Christ and what Christ has done for you on the cross, his sacrificial death and resurrection have washed your sins clean. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you must do to help your salvation. Jesus did it perfectly in your place and sacrificially gave his life on the cross for you. And so Christ has fully and completely turned us from in on ourselves to out, right? Specifically to our God above in thankfulness and to the people around us. So Paul is saying that, that Christ's death and resurrection were so sufficient that it even turns, 
it, it turns us from what we naturally do and faces us in a new direction. Martin Luther once made that statement. He said, when you are, when you are facing the cross and Christ and what he's done for you, everything else and all the priorities fall in line. As soon as you start facing other things, whether it's yourself or any of the things we have in this world, very quickly the cross becomes an afterthought and the freedom we have in Jesus. And so when Paul says, it is for freedom that you have been set free, he is not being redundant. He's not just using words over like he ran out of words. He's saying, no, you've You've been set free not to become further enslaved to sin, to have to do more, but you are free. Your sins are forgiven because of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the freedom Paul drove home. That's the freedom that actually the Reformation restored to the Christian church on earth. That it was not based on works, but it was based on Christ and what he has won for us on the cross. And so, you have freedom. Okay? You're free from your sins, not because of how good of people you are, not because you have some kind of like inner spark that God said, oh, that one, that one I'll do, but because of Jesus. You are forgiven and you are free because of Jesus. That's the start of the sentence and that's the end of the sentence. You are saved and you have heaven because of Jesus. That's the freedom we have as believers. So then the question is, how will we use that freedom, right? And that's where Paul goes on. Uh, He says in our next selection, so verses 16 through 18, I'll read for you. Paul says this, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and this is big S, capital Spirit, walk by the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So now, Paul is recognizing something here. Your salvation is entirely uh, dependent on Jesus and his sacrifice that he's made for you and the grace that you have in that. But Paul also recognizes um, the struggle of living in this world in that freedom. When we talk about freedom uh, and the devil is in the details, this is maybe where the details get hard for us as believers. Because we absolutely know the freedom we have in Jesus. That's been driven home. But then how come my life at times looks so contrary to the freedom I have in Jesus? How come I know this intellectually and yet my actions and my words and my heart at times are so far distant from what God calls me as a child of his and a part of his family? And therein you feel that conflict, right? That struggle. Um, Luther had a term for it, simul justus et peccator. Uh, so at the same time, sinner and saint. And so um, we, we talk about that, that, that struggle within us. Um, we know we have the freedom we have in Jesus, and yet the good we want to do, we don't do. The evil we don't want to do, that we keep on doing. Paul confessed that himself. 
arguably the greatest Christian missionary our world has ever seen, said, the good I want to do, like I'm on paper, I'm supposed to be doing that stuff. But I end up doing this other stuff, right? So he felt the conflict. And I think we do as well. When we talk about our freedom as Christians, the real question we have to ask ourselves is how do we put that into practice? And I think part of it is understanding that we are this, right? Guess what? Your spouse is that. And your kids are that. And the people around you are that. And the people in this church are that. And so guess what we will do at times to one another? Yeah, we'll sin, right? We'll do that, right? And we will break promises and we will lash out in anger and we will do the things we don't want to do rather than the things that we want to do because this is the life of a believer until the gates to heaven open up and Jesus welcomes us in. There is this sumo yestis et peccator, this struggle, sinner and saint, right? And yet what does Paul urge us towards? Living our lives in glory to God, right? On some level he says, recognize and understand that there is a struggle in you and guess what? In all those around you. And what's the solution? Paul probably could have said, just go back to step one, right? Go back to the beginning. The solution is Jesus and the freedom we have in him and that we're forgiven in him. And so as believers, we are, out of anyone, we ought to be quick to ask for forgiveness when we've hurt, when we've sinned, but also quick to forgive, right? For those that have sinned against us because each and every one of us are that, right? Not earning our way to eternity, but at times feeling as though we're kind of stumbling our way through. But underlying it is Jesus and the freedom we have in him. So freedom is free, right? Resilient freedom is free, but resilient freedom is also led specifically by the Holy Spirit, right? And it won't be perfect and it won't be be a, a smooth road straight to eternity, But again, that's where Christ upholds us, restores us, forgives us, and allows us a new day and a new moment to live to his glory. So our third point then, we look in verses 19 uh, through 21, and then I'm also grabbing verses 22 through 23. It says this, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And then he contrasts that with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so Paul, to the Christians in Galatia, says, don't let go of the freedom you have, but use that freedom in glory to your God above, and what's amazing, in service to the people around you. Because who do those things impact? People around you. Luther once said that, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does, (laughs) right? 
Your neighbor will really appreciate if you are characterized by love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? They, they would love that of you, right? We would love that of ourselves at times. And so Paul contrasts these two things and he says, um, the more that we are led by the Spirit and we are, we are upheld and empowered by Christ and what he's done for us, we, we use our freedom to strive towards this, to allowing our lives to be characterized by this. And it'll never be perfect. But what a blessing it would be. What a testimony to Christ above it would be if people speak of us and say, you know what, those strange people that gather together on a Sunday morning, even when the Broncos are playing on TV as they're sitting there, Broncos aren't so good to this time, but I, <laughs> that illustration would have been a lot better if they were undefeated. But, but, but it, what a blessing it would be, what a testimony it would be that for the unbelieving world around us that they're able to say that these people do something weird on Sunday mornings. They could be going to the mountains. They could be watching the Broncos, but they've gathered together. And what comes out of that is they generally kind of look like this, that this is how they treat each other, and the people around them. Luther had a term for that. He called that the masks of God. So in some sense, this is how your freedom um, interacts with the world around you. Um, and it's, it's in our vocations, it's in our work, and it's how we treat the people around us. Luther said this, What else is all our work to God, whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war or in government, but just such a child's performance by which he wants to give his gifts in the fields, at home, and everywhere else. These are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. And so you understand what Luther is saying there. God generally takes, God can take care of you in any way. You can pray for a miracle that your bank account is going to just be overflowing by the time you go home today. Maybe he chooses to do that. But generally, you want to know how God takes care of you and the world? Through you, through your vocations, through your work, through how you act, what you do, the things that you, you uh, the gifts you've been given and the things you do in your daily living. Luther calls these the masks of God. What a beautiful picture of that. Because how much greater would it be that if someone looking at you and the things you do and the things you choose not to do and the way you use your freedom and the things you choose not to use your freedom on and the way you treat people and how uh, your character comes out, how great a blessing would it be that those who do not know anything about Christ can see in you a mask of God, right? And be pointed to what is most important, which is the freedom that we have in Christ. And so, as believers, as we strive towards maturity and resiliency, we get this beautiful reality of the freedom we have eternally in Christ, but also the, the, the encouragement to use that freedom to love our God above and love the people around us, 
to allow our lives to be masks of God that point others to him and the freedom he won for us. If we can do that, that's a pretty powerful witness, isn't it? If we can do that, people see God, and more importantly, people see Christ, and even more importantly, souls are set free. That's the joy we have in our Christian freedom. I pray the Lord blesses you as you, as you resiliently, as you walk in maturity, right? Using that freedom to serve God and the people around you. Would you have gotten in that little boat? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't maybe like try that on a lake that I was pretty sure I could swim back from. I do not know if I'd jump in it to go from Cuba to the Keys, right? Um, it got them to freedom, uh, but it's a little bit sketchy, right? And probably to them, that boat is remarkably precious. But here's our parting thought that we get to leave with. Um, um, our journey towards freedom, their journey towards freedom was only as good as the boat that they put their lives in. The same is true for you and I, spiritually and eternally. But the good news is we have placed ourselves and our lives are in a boat that is far more sturdy and assured than that, but in Christ, in his perfection, in his sacrificial death on the cross, and ultimately he is who will usher us into eternity and freedom. Amen.